Hey, everybody, and welcome to 52 Weeks of Empowerment. I am Andrea Pagnosi, your host. I am also a career empowerment coach who is fiercely dedicated to getting everyone in 2022 to realizing their true career potential. This last month of 2022 is all about reflection on this year. What did you learn? What do you think you did well? What do you wish to scale in 2023 or at least continue? And last week, we got the juices flowing with the Japanese principle of Ikigai. It really spoke to me in terms of harmony, in terms of being one's authentic self. And this week, we're going to take that energetic movement mindset and tap into your business planning for 2023. One of the biggest reasons I hear from people that they procrastinate on the business planning for the coming year is that it's a chore. It is not fun. It is something that they really have to think hard about. Goodness gracious. At the end of the day, I am here to tell you, it can be a streamlined process if you're doing it throughout the year, little by little, and really building upon your plan over time. It shouldn't be this one and done process anyway. And it doesn't have to be an arduous task. It just needs to happen. It needs to happen. I've been telling people for years, if you keep telling yourself at this time of year in December, I'm going to start something on January 1st. Why can't you start now? It's like starting a diet. I just need to binge on everything. I shouldn't be eating anyway. And then I'll restrict when I start my diet. If you start out with a procrastination, you're probably not starting out from a very good place. That's all I'm going to say to you. So we're going to get you started even before the year starts, the new year starts with really good habits. Luckily, our guest today can help streamline all of it for us in terms of business planning into a pretty turnkey process. Tony Castronovo is the founder and managing partner of Novo Multifamily Group. It's a seasoned multifamily real estate investor, and he has experience in acquisition, due diligence, syndication, capital raising, construction, asset management, overall asset strategy implementation, and the list goes on and on. He has been invested in approximately 880 units, including a combination of general partner, uh, limited partner, co-GP, and independent ownership. And he complements his background with 25 years of management consulting, advising clients on project portfolio investment management, and he holds higher education degrees in both engineering and construction management. Tony is the founder of Grit to Growth, a transition and performance coaching business where he helps empower entrepreneurs to live an intentional life by design. And we are lucky to have him on 52 Weeks. Tony, welcome. Why, thank you. Wow, I'm exhausted. Where do I find uh, any time for fun? That's my question to you. And I think that's a great segue into, tell us a little bit about how you did all of that. I mean, you must have started when you were five years old. I'll try not to go all the way back because that's many decades ago, but let me start maybe on the real estate front. So I guess uh, it's 2014 where I started my first real estate business. Um, And I think I shared with you a little bit offline that right now I have five businesses. I started that very first one in 2014. And the focus was really just I wanted to buy my first single family rental property. I had gotten inspired by another gentleman that I had kind of witnessed. He had a small portfolio of homes and he 
pretty handy guy. And he was renovating the homes on his own and turning them around and putting tenants in place and, and starting to generate some pretty good cash flow from it. And then beyond that, having some tax advantages and obviously selling at some point. But for me, I just wanted to get started building that first single family rental property. And then over time, I started getting more consistent and, and building more and more properties until I had a, a pretty nice size portfolio. And in 2018, I realized that I really loved the business, but I wanted to grow it bigger and faster. And the best way for me to scale that was to go into multifamily. So in 2018, I bought my first multifamily property. Uh, it's funny how I bought it. I literally bought it just like I bought a single family home, opened my checkbook and bought the biggest property that I could afford, which is not how I buy properties today. Today, what I'm really focused on is syndication, where I bring in limited partners as investors to help with some of the capital needs. And obviously working with lenders on the debt side and, and other partners, general partners, that all bring a different skill set where we take more of a team approach on, on assets and both in the acquisition as well as in the management. And that kind of got me to where I am today, where I've done a number of transactions, uh, picked up a number of assets in the multifamily space. This has been my focus. I've kind of narrowed in where's my superpower, if you will which to me is around investor relations, attracting capital. Um, and I, I use the word attract more than raise. Some people say they're out there raising capital. Of course, yes, I'm, I'm raising capital, but there's a different mindset. When you attract capital, you are in it for the long term and you are doing things over time to be consistent to build your personal brand, to develop credibility, trust, all things that don't happen overnight. And that's really what, what I like about it and attracts me to the multifamily space. Fast forward to today, and I also got inspired this year to launch a coaching business. And it's called Grit to Growth, where I focus on entrepreneurs. And specifically, I like to say that I empower entrepreneurs to live an intentional life by design, because to me, it's not all about just growing bigger, faster, more units, more dollars, but it's truly being intentional about how you go about that, enjoying the journey, and also kind of factoring in what else is there along your journey besides your profession, we, we work so hard as entrepreneurs, but we should be able to enjoy some of that fruit, if you will, from the labor. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. And I do feel that I tell a lot of my clients, I work in the pivot space of coaching. So people who've been doing one career or, or going to school and are pivoting towards another time in their life, maybe they want to go into a different practice altogether or something. And what I'll tell them is there are always transferable skills. So what I love about your background is and you haven't pivoted. You're very, very much still in the real estate space. So I want to clarify that. But you've got this great experience that is so readily available to your coaching clients about building business, about shifting mindset, about, and I love the attracting capital versus raising capital, because I do feel you've certainly, 
if I do the math on the time that you have been in the industry, seen a lot of ups and downs in real estate. There were a lot of great years. My sister's in real estate as well. So I know full well, and she's also a coach for real estate agents, that there were some very lucrative years. There were some years where things didn't go well. What's interesting about our topic tonight is we're talking about planning for a successful year. And sometimes there are things that are beyond your control that happen. So it's going to be interesting to have this discussion with you because I'm sure you've had to pivot with your business plan once or twice in your career as well. So I'm excited. So let's dig in. I want to start with exactly what I said at the top of the show. This is the time of year when people start to break out in hives. I've got to plan a business plan. I don't want to do it. I hate this time of year. If they've got a team, they've got to manage. They've got to do a million annual reviews. And it's just such an arduous process. How do you get started? You have such a healthy mindset. What can you share with our listeners about making it not such a dreaded annual thing, but something they actually look forward to? It was uh, ironic, actually, that... Right before this interview, I had a session with my coach because as coaches, we also get coached, which is an amazing thing. And we were talking about kind of laying out the vision for for next year, for my businesses, my life. And here we are at the time we're recording this, you know, mid-November. And of course, I don't want to wait till January 1st to start planning everything, I'd like to be able to come sort of roaring, ready to go in January to start implementing the goals that I've set for the new year. But I think it it starts with the vision. And each, each time I do this, I, I kind of, I don't know if I intentionally do it or just sort of percolates up, but I have a theme for each year. So like 2022 was actually sort of a theme around building the foundation. And the reason that was the year of the foundation was because in about September of 2021, I left my W-2 job and decided to take my side gig, which was real estate, and make it my full-time business. And so I spent the first three months of you know the, the last quarter of 2021 just kind of getting things figured out, getting inspired and and figuring out where I should go. But then I said, you know what? I have to be deliberate about 2022, but realistic. I didn't want to just say, well, I'm going to just blow the doors off this whole thing. I'm going to be wildly successful with all these units and acquisitions. And when there was so much that I had to do yet, I had to develop systems and processes and CRM and build branding and credibility and you know all these things that just don't happen by the push of a button. So they were all part of this set of objectives for the theme of the year, which was building the foundation. And that kind of gave me a little bit of peace as well, that I didn't have this high expectation of maybe a revenue projection or uh, you know, uh, any any real hard metrics. I mean, yeah, I had some stretch goals. It wasn't about that. It was about establishing something that then I can build off of in subsequent years. That's really helpful because making it digestible and starting with something that's already inspirational, like a theme, is a very nuanced way of doing business planning. Now, you have a number of businesses. I believe at last count, you have five businesses. So you're no stranger to business plans. Do they all fall under the same umbrella of business planning for you, or do you approach them differently? 
it's interesting. So I have goals, metrics, I mean, all these things for each business. But when I'm thinking about, say, laying out the plan for the year, it's very holistic because each business has a demand on my time, my energy level, you know, my passion. And it's almost, right? Sometimes one has a little bit more need for you than the other. And it, it varies just on whatever season you're in or, you know, chapter of their lives. I was actually speaking with my coach and I said, I want to be at peace with knowing that I'm advancing each of my businesses in the right way, with the right amount of energy, with the right amount of time, without feeling guilty that maybe I should be over here focusing on something else. And so I want to enjoy all of it. This is not, it's not supposed to be work. It's supposed to be fun. And I'm supposed to be passionate about this. And, and I always have to carry that with me. And so that was sort of a grounding principle. And it gave me a lot of clarity on how to move the needle on each of these businesses in the right way. I had a very interesting question asked of me of one of my clients recently. And we were talking about business planning and we were talking about what 2023 looked like for her. And she said, why is this so darn hard? When I started this business in 2018, I couldn't get enough paper to write things on. She's like, I feel like my whiteboard was, it wasn't white on it. Now I struggle sometimes to really come up with proper metrics. And she said, to be honest with you, I've never worked my business through a recession before. So there's this kind of fear or overwhelm that kicks in with people, especially when they're delving into a year of unknown. My, and I'll have you answer as well, but my response initially was to her, we didn't expect a pandemic. There's a lot of unknown. Be happy that there's a known <laughs> that's happening. It's the unknown that's hard to plan for. How would you unpack that for a client? I literally just went through this because it's very cliche to expect the unexpected, but I think by saying that, the intent there is you still need to be nimble. If your plan is so rigid, there, there's no room for error. It's going to be exhausting. For me, coming up in 2023, I started working through, okay, I have my multifamily business and I want to be able to acquire a certain number of assets in the right sort of pace where it makes sense and it's realistic. Also knowing that we have a lot of unknowns with the crazy debt market out there right now, rising interest rates and all these things that, that are challenges and unknowns. So I have that, but also I have my coaching business, which is still somewhat formative. It's, it's a fairly newer business and I don't know exactly what to expect as far as time commitment and what benefits I'll get from it financially and the balance between working on my business and in my business. But I do have a big wild card for next year. My wild card is it's likely that my wife and I will be relocating and it's not a done deal, but we feel pretty strongly that we're going to do it. And, and what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm going to just write off the month of May and say, sorry, we're packing and moving and unpacking? Or is there more to it than that? Is it, is it a disruptor that I just need to come to peace with and say, 
I'll figure it out. I'll work around it. But, you know, if I was going to do a hundred widgets next year, maybe I'm going to really plan to do 80 because I have this unknown and I have to just give myself a little bit of contingency so that I, I still can be successful and feel good about it. But, you know, give myself a couple stretch goals in there too. I like the fact that you're being pragmatic because there are oftentimes that people have set these stretch goals way ahead of where they should have been. And then they look back on the year as a, as a bunch of failure, forgetting these were stretch goals. I try to unpack for clients. Uh, the client that I mentioned earlier was going through something similar. She had a very grand plan to get something off the ground that just didn't happen. She put a lot of work behind it. She just didn't pull the trigger on it because she had to shift. She had to be nimble. There were some other aspects of her business that needed tending to an investment in. And she made the right decisions. And I said, is it failure if you don't try? And she said, no. And I said, what have you learned from it? And she said, and it's funny because you and I talked about this. And we were going back and forth about if you have a newer business, there's some steps you need to take before you get into goal setting. And it was almost like I had to walk back to a time with this woman, as I said, she had started her business in 2018, to a time when the business was fresh and refresh the way she was looking at one specific thing. And that was her value proposition. Can you talk a little bit about value proposition? Because I love the way you look at it. You look at it from an inward perspective and an outward perspective. And I do think a lot of companies need to start to get back to basics. We're kind of at a point where post-pandemic, we're fine, we're settling into a new normalcy. So it, I think it's a safe time to do that and get back to the basics of, of really business planning, but getting back to the root cause of why you started the business in the first place, starting with the value proposition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whether you're a large corporation or you're self-employed trying to get a new business off the ground, every company needs a value proposition. Every company who is in business will continue to be in business needs to bring value to customers or they will not be in business. So when we talk about customers, we're mostly looking at the outward perspective of a value proposition. What is the value that you expect your customer to receive from your business, your products, your services, et cetera? But to balance that, we're in business because we, as business owners, we expect some sort of a return, some sort of a benefit to us. It could be monetary, and I think most people kind of start there, but it also could be that maybe... Like if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a business, maybe you're trying to fulfill a passion of yours. That could be the value proposition for yourself. If you're looking inward. Is this business give something back to you? Right. So, so there's a number of ways to, to look at it. But I think, you know, when coming up with your value prop, it's important to write it down, have something that you can have both perspectives, how you serve your, your customers and clients and how you are being served by your business. That last part is a point I want to highlight for our listeners. The inward looking of a value proposition of what you get out of your business is such a key component that may in fact reignite your passion towards 
a solid business plan, because if there's something in it for you, that's an even bigger reason why this is an important step. If we're talking new business, which we are right now, there are another several things you need to consider beyond value proposition, and that's mission. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you need to consider, because I think that when markets shift the way we anticipate some of them will in the coming year, you need to get back to that sort of basic too. Do you need to change demographic and customer base? So speak a little bit to the uh, the mission side of it. So if I define what the company mission might be, I would say it, it's really the main objective that the company has and who it serves. If I give some color to that with maybe an example. So in my coaching business, my mission is that I empower entrepreneurs to live an intentional life by design. If I peel that back, that one phrase, that that sentence, I empower, that's a verb. That's something I do. It's something I offer. I don't make it happen. I empower. That kind of defines a little bit more around the services that I provide them. Intentional life by design. That is an outcome that my clients will get, the value that they will get by working with me. And so that defines how I show up every day is that I'm trying to empower my clients and I'm trying to empower them to live this intentional life by design. That, that's very grounding for me. It's a very good place to start for most business owners as well, is to really have that sense of purpose that when you show up in front of the customer, how do you show up? I think that's really important. When you're building a business and you've built many, how do you unpack that, especially for investors, because you work in syndication, which means that you have other investors that are working with you. How do you attract those other investors and even clients to speak to the strategies and, and tactics that you do to engender those folks? A few ways I could respond here. First, there's kind of a brand promise, if you will, that when my investors who in my multifamily business, my customers, my clients are investors in many cases. So they are working with me. They're investing with me because of what I present myself with, what my brand promise is, which is full transparency. So when when somebody's working with me on a real estate deal, there's there's nothing I won't share. Somebody wants to get into the detailed underwriting on a transaction on, a, on an asset, we can walk through that together. If somebody wants to see bank statements from an operational perspective, how we're running the asset, they can see bank statements. You know, everything is very transparent. And that's just a, a brand promise, if you will. That's part of it. Um, but if I come a little bit kind of further back, you know, before the tactics and, and even the strategy, we got to look at the vision. And and it would be very easy for me to jump straight into the tactics if, let's say, I set a business goal and I said, I want to get a thousand units this year. I could just start running and buying property to get to a thousand units. But if I go you know, further back and I say, yeah, but what's the vision? What do I want to, what do I want to be known for? What do I want to be good at? And so in the real estate world, we call that a buy box my buying criteria. And so like for me, I focus on buying properties in three general markets, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. Those are my core markets. 
I look for properties of a certain vintage or age, so 1975 or above. I look for a certain class. I like C and B class properties. 100 to 180 units is typically where I'm focused on. So I'm very specific on what type of properties I'm going to be buying so that when I start to put my goals in place, it's not really about how do I get to a thousand units? It's really how do I buy quality assets that fit the criteria that I have justified are going to serve me and my clients, my, my investors for the long term? Because I'm not in business to be here for one or two years, but for the long term. So that's just one example of kind of being visionary on, on how to set up the business. And from there, where do you go? So what I'm getting at is oftentimes when you have a set of investors or prospectively you're getting a, a loan to start a business, let's say, the first thing they ask you is, I want to see your business plan, right? I want to see your forward thinking. So the vision, the mission, we've got that covered. But when it comes to the specifics, and you said, you, you, which is great practice, is to be very transparent. What does that look like? Is it on paper? Is it a presentation? What kind of delivery do you give to them? And what information do you provide? Actually, in my line of work, every asset has its own business plan. And, and so as an example, um, if I take say a new acquisition, let's say uh, uh, we're getting ready right now to close hopefully this week on a 75 unit apartment complex out in San Antonio, Texas, that has a business plan. And so the bank wants to know how are we going to start generating money from this asset? And so we've kind of laid it all out. We have a, a document, a deliverable, a business plan, if you will, that lays out all of our different approaches, including things like renovating units and adding amenities that can then generate additional fees that we charge to our residents, a number of things, and then obviously some projections. So you build out, let's say a five-year timeline or longer, depending on your business plan, and you're laying out your projections for rent growth in my example, which drives revenue. You're looking at expense growth. Let's face it, we're in an inflationary time period. Expenses continue to rise. But also, if I'm a good operator, how am I reducing expenses through efficiencies? So those are all baked into the business plan. And it gets presented both in numerical fashion as well as you know, overarching uh, you know, presentation style. So executive summary, the whole nine yards and yeah. give an opportunity for people to ask you questions. I find that a lot of people will only look at this maybe quarterly. You have a lot of businesses. You have a lot of investments. I'm sure you look at it more. How often do you get together with stakeholders to discuss progress on, on goal? I'm glad that you asked that and used the word stakeholder. Because that is something that if you're laying out, let's say, goals for the next year or even beyond that, having some sort of a stakeholder plan, I think, would be a great idea. Sometimes we don't realize that there are people that impact our business, uh, whether they're in the business, whether they're recipients of some fashion of the business. So, of course, for me, 
I've got partners that are in each of my deals, each of my, my multifamily assets. They're stakeholders of mine. I have uh, an entire real estate community that I'm a part of where we all collaborate on acquisitions and so forth. And they're stakeholders. My wife is a stakeholder. And it's actually, it's funny that I will, I will be vulnerable and say that a year ago, I learned a really important lesson on my, my business plan, my, my goal setting is I literally sat in a room on a Friday afternoon and spent four hours and I cranked out my goals for the next year. And then I'm laughing because I used to do this for a living for the C-suite. And, and I was like, would I ever ask the CEO to sit in a room on a Friday afternoon and just crank out the company's objectives for the year without talking to anybody? And and so it's a little comical when you say it like that, but my wife is a big stakeholder in my business. Why didn't I involve her in the process? And, and, and you know, I could go on and on about other people, other different categories of stakeholders, but you really have to think about, you know, are you a Fortune 500 company? Are you, you know, a, a sole proprietor or maybe you're in a, a small partnership? Who are your stakeholders and how do they influence your direction, your goals, and how you get there? And how often do you meet with your stakeholders? Do you just do it once a year? Do you check do checkpoints? What does that look like? It sort of varies. So on, on multifamily deals, I'm meeting with my partners pretty much on a weekly basis. As far as, you know, kind of checking in on goals, we typically do that about once a month. You know, my wife and I, we meet on a weekly basis. It's kind of funny, you know, she said, I got to get on your calendar. And I'm like, well, you know, we have businesses together. So yeah, we should do that every week. It just makes a little sense. I'm I'm constantly checking in on goals, but um, but not, not overly. I mean, I think if you start getting down to like every day, pulling out your plan and seeing if you're on target, I mean, then you're just chasing numbers. Mm-hmm. Glad that you use that phrase, chasing numbers, because I do feel as though checking it frequently is fine. OCD checking it is not because you start to lose the luster, the spirit. And that's really it goes back to what my client was saying before about, you know, when did this become a chore? And I said, when it became all about the numbers, everything that you're doing is take, is sucking the spirit out of what you're doing. And probably why you struggled a little bit this year is because you were doing just that. And I use that exact phrase, you're chasing numbers. And how can we get it back to more of a human business, human first versus, you know, business first. Um, but the stakeholder part is an important one that I talked to. And I also like the fact that you referenced that you had been working in a corporate environment at one point in your career, because very often people are required to do business plans at multi-levels of an organization and they forget the stakeholders. They think about the customers on the outside, the external side of the stakeholdership, but they don't think about partners within the business that help to serve the customers. They are still your stakeholders. If you're in sales, it means the marketing team, it means finance, it means operations, it means all of these things, product uh, team, whatever. Um, if you know, 
if you're in the C-suite, it's all the people who report into you. It's your, anybody you partner with. Um, so stakeholders look a lot different depending upon the business you're doing. So thank you for, for pointing that out because I think that's an important perspective because each one of those people is doing their own business plan. You may be running somebody else's business for them in a corporate environment, but every level has a business plan. So they all have to feed into each other. Do you find that that's difficult as a business entrepreneur to mesh with other people's business plans and other people's interests? Yeah, I mean, it's not insurmountable. Of course, the more partners you have in business, the more opinions you're going to get and different ways of doing things. But the plus is you can also learn a lot, too, and improve how you're going about your own planning because of those that, that maybe came with a different opinion or a different viewpoint. And, you know, if you just keep doing the same things all the time and you never open yourself up to other perspectives, you're just going to keep getting the same results you always have. How much risk do you think that people should be taking? Talking about being bold with your planet taking your business from zero to 60 in a controlled environment. How literal in translation does that need to be on a business plan? It's funny because my two parents were a little bit of a dichotomy that my dad was the big risk taker and my mother was way more sort of calculated. And, and so she's still alive. And sometimes, you know, I hear the, you should slow down and, you know, really, you know, another business or thankfully I also have a little DNA from, from my dad who, who really just naturally accepted risk and, and just got excited about things like that. I, I think, you know what business, again, we, we said it, it should be exciting. It should be fun. It shouldn't just be something you dread doing. And so sometimes you got to go for it a little bit. How do you hold yourself accountable to plans? I've just, over the years, had a bit of a process, a way of living, I suppose. Many years ago, I took some classes, learned a little bit of a routine that it doesn't get old. And so if I, I literally, I could look over the, the laptop here and see my 2022 goal sitting on my desk. I have 10 goals for the year, probably a little too many, but nonetheless, I had 10 goals for this year. I keep them right there so that they're front and center all the time. And of course, they're probably embedded in my head right now. Each month, I plan ahead and I lay out what my goals for the month would be to move the needle on my annual goal. Maybe I, I have two or three goals and, and there's something about what I'm going to do in that month to make progress toward my annual goals. Then every week, I start my Monday morning, I peel off about you know 15 to 30 minutes, and I, I just plan the week by looking at my monthly goals and laying out about seven things, six or seven things that I will do that week to make progress toward my monthly goals. And then every day, I spend about 15 minutes at the beginning of my day to go back and look at my weekly goals and make sure that I'm doing enough things. I've, I've laid it all out on the week, not all on Monday. And then it doesn't just roll over to Tuesday, but I've plotted it out to say, Wednesday, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And Thursday, I'm going to do this, this, and that. So that by the end of the week, I've accomplished my weekly goals. They roll up to my monthly. 
And that's how I get things done. And that's how I stay accountable. I'm wondering if we took a similar class because that's exactly what I do. It's keep it very digestible to ladder up to the bigger goals of the year. I map it out on a weekly basis and I have monthly goals that I ladder up to as well because I found that it was easier for me to dive into overwhelm when it was just the bigger picture, 30,000 foot view. When I took it down to the monthly and weekly goals and parsed it out, in a meaningful and digestible way, I, I just, it was just easier for me to do. So great minds must think alike on that one. Uh, yeah. You have a great deal of business knowledge. You work with individuals on coaching. Tell us a little bit about the coaching side of your business and what an ideal person to work with would look like. Over time, I've learned that I bring the most value to entrepreneurs, specifically whether they're officially an entrepreneur and they're off kind of running their own business, or they're still working a W-2 job and have an entrepreneurial mindset and are maybe considering making the jump and eventually going full-time in their business. Or maybe they're just happy trying to balance a corporate career with a side hustle of some sort and, and all that goes with that. That's really the type of, of client that speaks to me. And that's where I bring the most value is helping people continue to, to move up the hill and, and keep on pressing forward. And sometimes, you know, like I'm a marathoner, sometimes in a marathon, you hit a bad patch. Doesn't mean that you can't complete 26 miles, can't complete the journey. It just means you had a bad patch. And if you got somebody there to kind of coach you through that, then you're going to get there and and, you know, eventually kind of synthesize and, and start to experience a lot of excitement and joy in the business that you're doing. Great to growth. Great name for a company. Tell our listeners how they can reach you if they fit that perfect clientele that you're looking for. Best way is really just off my website. It's just uh, grit to growth, grit with a hyphen in each. So grit hyphen two growth but that's the best way that they can they can schedule a, a discovery call with me um, or just uh, certainly send me an email directly off my contact form that's wonderful well tony castronova i appreciate you joining 52 weeks this has been a pleasure remember to everybody out there business planning only helps it doesn't hurt it doesn't need to be that rigidity as we spoke of today. It needs to be nimble, but it needs to be passionate. It needs to have an entrepreneurial mindset, even if you're working in a business setting. It's a means to an end that is also, I might add, and we didn't really touch on this, but I want to make this point. It's also a working document, which means that you can change it as the year progresses. Tony kind of hit on that as well. If you need to pivot to different things, you need to be nimble enough to meet the needs of not only your stakeholders, but of yourself. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining 52 Weeks today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. And to all of you, thank you for joining. We will catch up with you next week, same time, same place, even more power.